Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics, where a woman from the right and a woman from the left accessorize the news with a fresh perspective. Hi, everyone. It's Beth and Sarah back for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Thanks for joining us. We have, again just no shortage of things to talk about today. No, I was watching the local news and, or no, I'm sorry, excuse me, the national news and the top stories were the shooting in Chicago, the fighter jet, Russian fighter jet shot down by Turkey and the crazy high terror alert. And I, I thought longingly of the star Wars star Starbucks holiday cup and how much I wish we could go back to that. It would be nice if that, if you know, the, the red ombre was the the biggest yeah. thing that we had to debate right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be nice. 
Well, so maybe we should pick up where we left off in our last episode and just uh, touch on what's happening in terms of ISIS and the conflict in the Middle East. So today, um, as Sarah just alluded to, Turkey shot down a Russian plane in its airspace. And um, I, I haven't followed this story too closely, but my understanding is that Turkey's position is that it gave the the Russian plane like many, many opportunities to move out of its airspace before shooting it down. And I think Russia's position is that it was in Syrian airspace and never mm-hmm. um, violated Turkey's territory. Um, this feels to me like some confirmation of a comment that you made during our last episode, Sarah, about sort of what Putin's doing and how the Middle East might just be a big chessboard Absolutely. for him. Mm-hmm. For I, He's not, and I don't think it's just him. I don't think this was... This was Turkey asserting its sovereignty, I feel like. This was Turkey saying, you are messing with us and messing with Syria and asserting your rights very close to our borders, and we need to stick up for ourselves. It really concerns me because now we're getting into what feels like, and I don't want to be dramatic, but a prelude to serious international conflict beyond the bounds of um, a dictator in Syria oppressing his people or a, an, a, an Islamic extremist group trying to establish a caliphate. You know, mm-hmm. if, if, we're, if we're dealing with Russia and Turkey's airspace and Turkey shooting that plane down, I mean, th- th- that, that's scary to me. Yeah. And, and I think it really calls out for some leadership from, I don't know, NATO, the G20, the United States, whomever, we need to get this coalition together and set Mm -hmm. some objectives and have a plan. Well, President Hollande and President Obama had a joint press uh, session today and addressed some of the concerns. I think that, like we discussed last week, President Obama is, is trying desperately to keep everybody calm, and I'm not sure how well it's working. Um, I heard an interesting, um, speaking of President Hollande, an interesting take on military action post-Paris attack, which was, you know, France was already bombing any high-value targets um, regarding ISIS before the attacks. Right. And so this big thunderous bombing that happened afterwards was really just, it was an emotional reaction. We were already doing what we were supposed to, and there's a lot of arguments that they are branching out and doing these far-flung attacks because they are losing ground, because they are um, losing land, and that they're trying desperately to engage us in just this way. And so I I hope that we don't fall for it. I don't even know what any of it looks like at this point. I I would feel better if and I and I get that we can't just, you know, all sit down together at a big table and discuss military strategy, but I I would like to hear someone say on my watch this ends. Mm-hmm. There will be no caliphate. There will be no more journalists beheaded to the best of my ability to assure you of that. There will be no more billions of dollars um from oil sold on the black market. Like we're not there today, but we will be there and it will take time and it will take sacrifice and it will be hard, 
but we will end this. That's what I want to hear. Yeah, I don't, but I don't know if they can. I mean, I would, I, I think it'd be nice to hear, but I'm not sure. I don't want to go in and invest a bunch of American time and life and energy and trying to sort out things that we have proven over and over again. We're just not good at sorting out. I think that we do what we can against ISIS by reducing their, like I said, because like we've talked about last week, they don't have a, they don't have a philosophy without land to back it up. Like right. it, so much is based on the caliphate. So I, I agree with the first section, which is we remove their claims to land. We use force to, under a coalition, of course, to reduce their um, caliphate or so-called caliphate so that they have no land with which to occupy and then we move on. I mean, we can't, it's just so, I think that this, the issue with Turkey and Russia right now and this bombing of this warplane goes to the fact, speaks to this, it's never that simple. It's never as simple as going in. Like when we try to attack ISIS and we try to get involved in that area, we're not the only players there. We're not the only players concerned with the area. And it's just, I feel like every single thing that happens has 16 crazy repercussions. Well, that's right. And I, and I think that it's just important for the players in that area who are kind of on the same side of the conflict to get together and get a plan going. So speaking of repercussions, um, we continue to have a discussion domestically about whether um, our immigration policy should be impacted Mm -hmm. by this crisis. And this week, Congress, well, the House passed, um, you know, what I think, I'm just going to be honest with you. I hate this. I am devastated that Speaker Ryan, whom I Mm -hmm. adore, um, participated in this, but, but they passed a resolution tightening up, um, the, the vetting process, allegedly tightening the vetting process for refugees. Now, I, I don't really know what anyone's doing here because if you have any experience whatsoever with our immigration system, yeah, they act like it is the express checkout line. What I mean, I don't understand. Could not be more cumbersome to bring someone into this country and, and apparently they want to make it more cumbersome uh, for refugees who already have an unbelievably cumbersome process. But I mean, it's all just political theater in my view. And and I'm really devastated by it. As I heard Paul Ryan specifically say, we shouldn't let anybody in without knowing with a hundred percent certainty that they don't have any basically ill will against America. And I thought, what world do you live in that we have 100% certainty about anything? Because I don't I live in that world. I don't understand, of course. I mean, I think that so much is accepting an exchange of risk for benefit. You know, I am willing, I was having this discussion um, with a friend of mine with regards to um, the welfare system. I said, I'm willing to re- to to feed 15 hungry kids if it means that two lazy whatever will exploit the system like that's okay with me that's the cost of doing business and i'm not saying the cost of doing business of of allowing immigrants is allowing terrorists i don't believe that but i do believe that we have to accept that there is there could be someone that gets over and and has ill will towards america at any time under any type of they could come over on a tourist visa like i don't understand well, you that's know, the thing that that is really concerning about all of this. 
The people talking about these issues know good and well that the risks of terrorists entering our country have nothing to do with refugees. Mm -hmm. The risks are much more associated with visas, with student visas, with tourist visas. There are much faster ways to get into the United States than as a refugee. And I just feel like everyone knows that. And this is just blatant racism and Mm -hmm. um, xenophobia. I'm just, I'm very disturbed by this whole conversation. And speaking of racists... What a segue. Why, you know, I would say up to almost a month ago, I thought Donald Trump was a joke. I just wasn't paying attention. I'll be really honest. I just thought, you know, this is just, this is primary fun, whatever, fine. And then about a month ago, you started hearing all these reports about him coming up in the polls and he was doing well. And I was like... Maybe this isn't a joke. And now I I still don't honestly believe that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee. But I am so disturbed by the fact that he says blatantly false and blatantly racist things. And there's not just this immediate, you can't say those things anymore. It's 2015 and we can't continue to allow you to have a platform with which to say these nasty, awful, hateful, racist things. Howard Dean got kicked out because he yelled into a microphone. How have we gone from like the rah is not presidential to you can just lie and say racist things. And that's cool. Lady on the ABC News today, they were asking people in his, the audience, because he's clearly lying about what he saw on September 11th. Like, yeah, memory's fuzzy. Hillary Clinton in the plane. We all did it. Like, everybody does it. This is why we should never convict anybody on eyewitness testimony. But, like, what? But this is different. And you're, you're I don't, I'm so dumbfounded by the whole thing. I really, really am. Yeah, I agree. And here's, here's my sort of, le- like, dear Republicans. <laughs> and I will address specifically Reince Priebus. Okay? Dear Reince. <laughs> You need to stand in front of a microphone and say, this cannot be what our party is about. Yes. This cannot be our nominee. It is time to get serious. The challenges facing us are too great to continue to have our primary look like a reality show. We are alienating more voters. If we want to continue to lose the White House, then let's go to this far extreme base element of the party but i don't even know who these people are at this point other and than folks who want to be entertained i just he's saw the other day a republican that, no That's he right. wrote a he wrote a letter supporting barack obama i saw it today on the internet <laughs> yeah he, he is not a republican he is just whatever he is right he is understand. a show he's a brand and good for him and all of his success but enough like take like, I would like to see Reince Priebus say, I don't care what it will do to the ratings. I don't care yeah. what 10 people 
in Iowa think about this, and I'm sorry to be disparaging to Iowa, but I'm tired (laughs) of the circus here. And I would like the party's chairman to stand up and say so, that we will not tolerate any discussion of a database for Muslims. I mean, what are we even doing here? I I, I just think it's time. He tweeted about... um... The criminal statistics where it was just, he basically reversed the statistics of whites killed by whites and whites killed by blacks to basically say blacks are violent and they kill black people are violent and they kill white people. And so it's not a big deal if a police officer shoots them and they were innocent. What? What? Well, and that's what? the thing. I am done with this answer of, well, the people will sort it out. You know what? The people will sort it out, and I and I surely hope that the people have the wisdom to make the right decision. But the party can stand up and say, we are a party, we are an organization, and we will make some choices here, and we draw a line at what we're hearing. Yeah, I, I mean, if he's cashing those checks, you better do something. That's what I want. So, love Beth, you know. Sarah reached out to Belgium last time. Yeah, I'm and going a I little less say, ambitious and talking to Ryan Spree. I just want to say I feel like Belgium heard me. I feel like they did too. They shut so, it down. I mean, they needed to get their stuff in order. They really did. So, Ryan, so you need to do the same. Thank you very much. <laughs> Sincerely. So now comes the segment of the show that we um, are we are we are gifting pearls to the other party where we um, share a member of the other party that we respect an idea or a member of the other party. And I'm really excited about mine. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I'm Mine for this week is George W. Bush. How about that? I know. You ready for this? Okay. So two things I've heard praising George W. Bush recently that I totally agree with. First, in direct response to this Donald Donald Trump sideshow, that he did such a good job post-September 11th. He went to that Islamic center. He made the speech. He said, this is not a war on Islam. Our conflict is not with Muslims. This is, our enemy is Al-Qaeda. And really, when you think about the scale of the September 11th attacks, I am not Muslim. I don't know what it was like to walk the streets of America post 9-11. And I won't speak to that. However, from my view, I I think there were conflicts and there was obvious, there is and will has always been discrimination, but I, I mean, I feel like there was less nastiness than there is right now. You know what I mean? Like, I yes. feel like he did a good job of leading and saying and that to lead is not to eliminate it altogether, but I do think he did a good job of being like, no, this is not what this is about. And we're not going to make it about this. So a bravo, George W. Bush, which is not words I ever thought would come out of my mouth. And the other thing I heard, um, about him recently was that he did a really good job of um, digitizing food stamps and taking away the like the um, paper products that you use to cash your food stamps and move to the debit card, which is a lot less stigmatizing, more accurate, better to track, cheaper probably to administer, but also made a purposeful effort to make it less stigmatizing so it just looked like a debit card, which I thought that somebody else praised him for. And I thought, I agree with that too. George W. Bush, two for two in one week. And I would just like to say, bravo Sarah Stewart Holland for being open to praising George W. Bush. Yeah. Like that is bold. I'm open. I'm, f- I'm fine with it. I can take it. Well, so somewhat similarly, although I think not quite as bold, I will admit. Um, <laughs> I wanted to express my admiration for Dick Durbin this week. Um, so Senator Durbin is known as one of the most liberal 
members of the Democratic Party in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mother Jones loves him. Um, he is someone, although his voting record is probably like, Mostly the opposite of what mine would be if I were in the Senate. (laughs) I just think that he really respects the institution. I think he is a statesman in every sense of the word. Um, I really respect the work that he has done on criminal justice reform. Um, He was in favor of dealing with these mandatory minimums before it was cool. Um, I think he's just very principled, you know, Mm -hmm. and even where I disagree with his principles, I I have liked his work on the DREAM Act. You know, he is there to govern. Yeah. He does the Sunday shows a lot, but he does the work, too. With with the exception of some people that neither of us like, Ted Cruz, I think senators, for the most part, are like that, truthfully. I think that is a governing body of people who take their, who have a high respect for the office. Um, I I mean, I don't feel like you get a lot of ideologues in the Senate. Again, Ted Cruz being the obvious exception. I think that's true. But one thing I would call out about Dick Durbin, and, and, you know, we could name lots of other people about whom this is true, but he has not been afraid to develop a record. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like we're getting into this climate where so many people want to just do this, like, short term in the Senate so they can run for president, and they don't want to establish so much of a record that it would be difficult to move beyond that. Yeah. Um, You know, this guy has authored legislation. He's put bill after bill after bill out there. He's made the hard votes. He's just there to do his job, and I appreciate that. So Good hats job. off, Dick Durbin. Hats off, Dick Durbin. And Georgia B. Bush. Yes. So that's the end of the pearls. We're going to move on to the suit where we dive in a little bit deeper on one of the current avish, current issues or political topics of the day. So, Beth, you were the one who brought um, this topic to the table. We did a little bit of a poll on our Facebook page, and hopefully we'll do more and get some more feedback from everybody listening, what they'd like to hear us talk about. But we decided to talk about raising the minimum wage. Yeah, I thought this would be a good topic because um, it's, I think it's really interesting how broad a base of support there is for raising the minimum wage. Um, certainly it's a hallmark in the Bernie Sanders kind of movement. Oh yeah. The Bernie bros love it. The Bernie bros love it. But like president Obama has been talking about this for a long time Mm -hmm. too. And I think there's a lot to say, and I think there's more, maybe more to say about it than is being said in the conversation. And you know, what better place than fancy politics to kind of flush some of that out. Exactly. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. 
Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love, though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors, and I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick-dry polish. They say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick-dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Well, so the I, I did a little bit of research on the minimum wage, and I, um, it's not surprisingly, and probably most uh, people know this, is a result of the Great Depression and uh, the Fair Wages Act introduced by Roosevelt. He tried to get um, a minimum wage through a couple times, and the Supreme Court, as we all know, was not a fan of Roosevelt's mm-hmm. <laughs> initial um, reforms. And so he threatened them and they backed down. That's, that's the long and short of the history lesson there. And um, we passed the minimum wage. My favorite part of all the minimum wage and labor laws is they were passed um, or they were, you know, written and sheltered through the process by the secretary of labor at the time, which was, do you know, I do not. First female cabinet member, Frances Perkins. Little little women's history trivia for you. Yep, first female cabinet member was uh, Roosevelt's uh, Secretary of Labor, Frances Perkins. So that that was passed under Roosevelt. It's been increased several times since then. It currently is is seven twenty five. Is that right? Yes. And um, has been. You know, it's it's varies from state to state and i heard a really interesting thing on npr about a mall where one in like san diego county was one was like the federal minimum but then like san diego city raised it so literally like half of the mall was two dollars more an hour than the other half of the mall (laughs) um and the guy at the lower half of the mall was talking about how he basically gets the bottom of the barrel because why would they apply here if they could get two dollars two dollars more he was like, I had an I had a, a applicant come in high the other day because they could just walk down the mall and get two dollars more an hour. So um, there's been a lot of debate regarding whether to raise it again with predominantly, obviously, um, 
Democrats supporting raising the minimum wage and Republicans opposing it. Although, you, like you said, it has a pretty broad base of support. Yeah, I think the question is um, if it's raised by how much. So President Obama has advocated a move to, I think it's $10.10 an hour. Um, I think Bernie is like up around 15, isn't he? Go big or go home. That's Bernie's slogan. Apparently so. Um, I think the first thing that I would like to put out there about this issue, and I feel this way about a lot of issues as a Republican. So being against a dramatic increase in the minimum wage does not mean that I want people to not earn good livings. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of times on issues like this, um, entitlements, I mean, a, a ton of them, like Republicans get painted with this brush of evil, like, oh, I want there to be poverty. You know, <laughs> I want single moms who are working hard to make ends meet to not get $13 an hour. Like, of course, that's not the case. It's just about the proper role of government, the impact on the broader economy, and and kind of what we're about as a society and and the best way to get there. So I would love it if everybody made, you know, hey, if, if we're going to talk about what we would love, like, let's all be at 70000 a year or higher, right? Oh, like, oh, put, a pin, put a pin in that. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the idea of a base wage, which is something yes. else I, I fell a, a hole I fell into while doing minimum wage research, yes. which was really interesting. <laughs> well, when I started looking at it, I fully expected to just be proven right in my liberal, beautiful pa- portrait of the future in which we all earn a fair and living wage. Because I will, I will confess up front that a living wage was one of my first big, uh, super progressive political campaigns I joined in college. We were big on the living wage, and we talked about that a lot. And I do believe in a living wage, and I do believe um, that, like you said, I, I mean, nobody wants to, people to suffer under poverty. And I think with regards to the minimum wage, one of my favorite things was um, – if you remember Morgan Spurlock, the fast food, um, yes. he did that. He did a show called 30 days where he like kind of did like little thought experiments. And with the very first one he did, him and his girlfriend lived on minimum wage for 30 days. And the thing is you can do it, but nothing can go wrong and you cannot have kids. Like you can never get sick. You can never have any kind of like outstanding expenditure. Your car can't break down. Like you, I mean, you just, you, you live so close to the line. Like there's just no room for life to happen to you when you live on minimum wage. However, um, the problem, I mean, it's not really a problem. So apparently in the, with regards to the impact, like you said, on the economy of raising the minimum wage, there was like the first, the first major paper. Have you read about this? The David Card, Alan Kruger study in 1993, Yes, they this stum- is a rabbit hole of its own. Yeah, right? they stumbled. They stu- they stumbled upon New Jersey, the New Jersey Pennsylvania border. So New Jersey hiked its minimum wage. Pennsylvania did not. So they found all these um, statistics for the fast. Food. Oh no, they surveyed the fa- they surveyed the fast food restaurants on each side of the border. They found um, that despite the higher minimum wage in New Jersey, New Jersey's fast food restaurants did not lay off workers. So they said there was no negative impact. Well, of course, then all these economists were like. That doesn't sound right. So they all just <laughs> piled on. Um, another study found, oh, no, there was a small um, decrease in wages and slow job growth. And then those people, Kruger and Dave, um, the other guy went back, did it again, did found the same thing. So, But here's the thing. 
they're all debating these very minor effects. Like, it's either like a teeny tiny job growth or a small decline. Like, these are not big impacts on the economy either way, whether we raise or don't raise the minimum wage. So I think that it's, to me, what seems to need to happen, and I heard an economist say this in one of the pieces, is just adjust, pass a law that it adjusts for inflation and leave it alone. Because it's not a big enough deal to be fighting this political fight every 10 years. Like, just, that's what we did. Apparently, this is what they used to do with Social Security. Like, they didn't, it wasn't adjusted for inflation until a bill passed in, like, the 70s or 80s. Because they were, and they would, like, have to come back every once in a while and fight it out again. Well, just adjust it for, like, a cost of living, some kind of indexing. I don't know. Find somebody smarter than me. Pass that. It, it raises along with the cost of living. And let's just move on. Because I don't think the impact is big enough either way to be killing ourselves over it every 10 years. Well, I think the impact, it's just so hard to tease out from other factors in the economy. Right? Well, and it's not just a huge, the truth is it's not just, it, it's, it, excuse me, it's not a huge percentage of the economy. There's just, right. I mean, there's a lot of minimum wage workers. And to those people, I understand that this is a big deal. And obviously I don't oppose a, a raise in the minimum wage, but like, we're not talking about a massive share of our economy. No, and I think another thing that we need to realize is that we're talking about a very different economy than the one in which a minimum wage was originally established. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people discuss the minimum wage as a training wage. You're Like, you're not intended to live on minimum wage for a long period of time. And this is where I have concern with sort of the Bernie argument where we take this a lot higher um, again, not because I don't want people earning those wages. Of course I do. But as anyone who has ever tried to set salaries for any kind of organization knows, wage compression is a really difficult issue. Like when you are working in a band of income and you're trying to distinguish between your top performers and your bottom performers, mm. like you need some room to work. And the higher that minimum wage creeps, the less room that you have, you know, to work with that. And I think that's where I just feel like this is well-intended legislation that will have adverse consequences, even for the people, you know, that it's intended to help. Well, and I just feel like if our issue is that people are not making a living wage, and I hear the argument, and I believe the argument that far too many people... We're not just talking about teenagers. They are the highest proportion of minimum wage workers, but there are far too many people working multiple minimum wage jobs to try to feed their families. But to me, I would rather talk about a long-term solution to those people than to just continually raise the minimum wage. I don't want those people to have to work two minimum wage jobs. I want them to have a fair living from one full-time job. You know what I mean? Like, I... Let's talk about the if our issue is that there are so many people on minimum wage. Well, then I want to get those people off minimum wage. Let's not by raising minimum wage, but by getting them better jobs. I totally, totally agree with that. And I think that if we raise the minimum wage too high, we jeopardize our ability to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think businesses generally left to their own devices will get really creative. Like if you look at some of what, and I and I understand that you know there's only 
a handful of companies like Google and Netflix and, you know, these kind of big tech monsters who are going after a small pool of top talent. But they are doing it in amazing ways. And I think that if we allow our economy to continue to grow, we're going to see more innovation like that. Mm -hmm. And I also think that if we overregulate, you know, we, we are going to see fewer and fewer opportunities for jobs that are accessible by people who are making well, and wage I guess for the, long periods of time. The difference on our outlooks is, are, is also not only do I not, I, I'm fine with leaving um, businesses to innovate and to attract top talent or to whatever. But to me, if we have an, an aging workforce or a problematic lack of education that's leading people into these lower minimum wage jobs. I'm totally okay with the government stepping up and finding better ways to train them or subsidies for vocational training or whatever it takes. Like that, I mean, I don't mind that. Like that, obviously I don't have a problem with the government stepping up for some of these things, but I don't think that, I I guess my point is there are other things we can be doing besides, I don't want to stop. I don't think them opposed to the hike in the minimum wage. I think it should be adjusted for inflation and cost of living. But I don't think that's where we should stop. If we have too many people in these jobs, and let's look at other programs where we can help them become better educated, better trained, so that they can find other paths to a living wage. I'm not sure that we need government to do that. I mean, you know, that is clearly going to be a a dividing line in our discussions. Um, I I think private enterprise is contending with a lot of those issues. I mean, I don't know many industries that who aren't that where people aren't grappling with an aging workforce or, you know, multiple generations in the workforce. Mm -hmm. There, there are tons of, um, solutions that the that the private sector will generate around these issues and they they won't be perfect but neither will the solutions propagated by government um so so here's where i think we agree like i don't have any problem with adjusting the minimum wage for inflation annually Mm -hmm. i think that makes a lot of sense um i would like to see some kind of study and and you know maybe i'm just not smart enough to to kind of wrap my brain around all this I'd like to sort of understand the relationship between an adjustment like that um, and what's happening with the interest rate set by mm-hmm. the Fed. It, it disturbs me a little bit to think about no change in interest rate at the same time that we're going to just wholesale say every single year the minimum wage goes up. But but I might be wrong. I mean, there may be no correlation there. I would just like to understand that. And that's the problem with all these studies on the minimum wage. You're viewing this one issue in isolation right. um, when there, there are so many factors that go into what the economy is doing generally, how many jobs are available. And, and if you are interested in, you know, for, for folks listening, if you're interested in a really nice encapsulation of these minimum wage studies, the Wikipedia on minimum wage has a great just kind of summary of all the studies that have been done. Now you'll read it and you'll go, well, I don't think I know anything more than when I started reading this because they, they don't tell you much, um, in, when you read all of them, right? Like there are plenty of places where if you have a strong feeling about this argument, you can cherry pick. Yeah. But I think if you look at everything, you're going to say, I'm not sure that we can conclude anything reasonably about no. the impact That's of what the I'm minimum saying. Yeah, wage these, change. These studies are like 
it's just such a minor impact either way if you don't raise it or you don't. And I hate to blow that off because I, sometimes I listen to these policy wonks and I'm like, you're talking about real people. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to blow off the fact that for thousands and thousands of people a raise in the minimum wage could be really life-changing. I don't want to discount that. But for the, the abstract um, academic impact on our economy, it, there doesn't just seem to be this massive negative or positive correlation. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15.
Well, and I, it is hard to know whether it would be life-changing, and if so, for what period of time. Mm -hmm. Because I do think businesses are going to maintain their profit margins. And so while we can't say with certainty, and I think in this economy, I think in the post-2008 economy, it's even more difficult to ascertain what the impact of a minimum wage increase would be. Um, it, you know, I think businesses are still running conservatively, even though the economy is growing. So you could see, um, you know, the hourly rate goes up, but we're reducing your hours. Yeah. Um, and you could see lessened opportunities for rapid promotion, rapid increase to uh, reward good performance. I mean, I, I, I think that there could be some real wage compression issues. So, you know, I don't think that our goal should be to say, okay, when the minimum wage was established, it was this, and the equivalent in today's dollars would be this, and so we're going to go from here to there. I think it should be a slow, careful adjustment, and then year over year, you know, I'm I'm fine with that recommendation of cost of living adjustment as long as it's done carefully and by people who are smarter than I am. Yeah. Well, so speaking of... Or- people smarter than us. I had never even heard of the pinned, the put a pin in our little topic. I'm going back to, um, the, have you heard of this idea of a base wage for everybody? I just came across this today when I was fascinating research. Mm -hmm. Totally fat. So the idea is basically in a, in countries, this is clearly not for like India, but in rich, successful countries like our own, um, you would establish sort of this base wage. You would decide um, everybody, I guess you could decide how much it's going to cover, whether it would cover um, food, shelter, depending on what you live, whatever. But it would, it would show, it would cover these kind of base living expenses so that you, we don't have to worry about you starving or being homeless. And then, the idea is then you're just kind of, you're left to flourish and to capitalize, you know, to pursue your human capital in the best way you can because you're not worrying about these this kind of hierarchy of needs. Um, no country has successfully instituted this, but it has some appeal on both sides of the political spectrum for, you know, like a libertarian or, a, a, you know, a conservative concerned with the role of government basically you give this base wage to everybody and then you say okay y'all no more no more social safety net like we're going to cut all these programs off we're not going to spend money on those anymore right and this is advocated by people who oppose a minimum wage at all right right? because they say let's not set what businesses can pay on an hourly basis let's just say everybody in our economy this is this is the standard of living for every person right and then on the other end of the spectrum Clearly, like, liberals want a base wage, but they don't want to shut down the social safety net as well. But so that, you know, it's the idea that we're protecting people um, and we're allowing you to flourish. And so the the closest example is of that I ran across was in Alaska. Did you read about Alaska? I did not read about Alaska. Yeah, they get, like, a big old check from the oil every year. Like, every Alaskan citizen, like, they said last year it was, like, $2,000. They from the from the um, oil companies basically from the profits from that, which I think is kind of a nice concept, right? The state belongs to everybody. Yeah, this company is profiting off our natural resources, so we all get a check. Yeah, they get like, or maybe it was like eight. No, it was two thousand dollars per person. So like a family of four would get eight thousand dollars. Wow. 
yeah, I'm moving to Alaska, man. Not really. I'm cold all the time. I cannot live in Alaska. Um, But I thought that was, I think that, I just, I guess I think it's an interesting concept because I like the idea that um, our country has reached this point, um, you know, we're one of the richest nations in the world. Um, I keep thinking about these studies where, like, the human IQ is going up. Like, we're clearly evolving and progressing in, in important ways as a society. So let's really rethink everything. Like, I like the idea of let's just not keep doing things because we've been doing them. If we've if we've turned this corner and our economy is different and our education system is different and we have all these resources, what, sh- what else should we rethink? What if we did? What if we just gave everybody a check and covered this stuff? Like, what if we did that? That'd be crazy, but an interesting thought experiment. <laughs> It is an interesting thought and experiment. I don't know enough about this to have a, a well-developed opinion, but I do like the idea of let's go back to the drawing board, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I have no confidence whatsoever that Social Security is going to be around for us, even though we're paying into it. Um, I, I, I think our programs are of a different era and it is time to rethink. And, you know, the other topic that we considered for this episode was talking about student loan reform and the cost of college education. And I wonder what something like what you're talking about would do to supply and demand for college. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think we're in a really weird spot where a bachelor's degree has become much like a high school diploma in terms of gating issues. But despite the fact that you, that you need one, no matter what the cost is astronomical, you you know, what happens if, if we have a base wage and we say to everybody, you're going to have a certain standard of living, um, regardless of the path you pursue, do we have people making better choices about what that path looks like? I don't know. I'm, you know, I have a certain kind of visceral reaction as a Republican to say, well, now, wait a second. This doesn't sound right to me. But I do, I am, like, open to that discussion because it feels to me like if we're giving people an avenue to improve their situations and we're reducing long-term dependency on programs that we just can't sustain, I, I like that. There's some appeal there. I agree. There we are, agreeing again. Well, that wraps up the suit where we've uh, done a little bit of a deep dive and super um, wonky political topics that we hope you as your audience, if you stuck with us thus far, we think you're probably interested in too. Next up, we're going to talk about the heels, things that are improving our lives or making us happy this week. Right, so we talked um, about some very like high level stuff in our last segment. So I'm going to just bring it right down to reality television. <laughs> no, we did talk about reality television because we talked about Donald Trump. That's true, but I'm I'm going to talk about reality television that makes me happy, which is totally different than Donald Trump. Um, no, I am loving. Have you seen Project Runway Junior? No. Okay. So I love Project Runway. And I haven't and watched Truth, it in a long time, but I was a truth. I was a real, I really did love it. 
Well, truth be told, I could do nothing but watch Project Runway all day, every day, (laughs) even though, like, I shop at Old Navy and have no fashion sense personally whatsoever. um, I just think what these people can do is amazing. So Project Runway Jr. has Tim Gunn, but a different slate of judges, including Kelly Osbourne, who is so endearing, it's ridiculous. Well, I'm in. As long as Tim Gunn is there, I'll watch it. Tim Gunn's in, Kelly Osbourne, Christian Siriano, who I think is so fascinating. Yeah, and he was the best winner ever. He was the best winner ever. ever. These kids are unreal what they can do. They just had an unconventional challenge last week. I mean, they're better than adults. I almost like you almost watch this and realize that maybe the imagination gets constrained as you develop. Yeah. Um, because they are just gutsy and they're amazing. It, wow. It's like a little dose of like, let me restore my faith in humanity and what we're capable of. And, you know, it's just wonderful. It totally lifts my spirits. So tune into Lifetime. You know, again, not not no one's paying us to say this, but you should totally watch this. Um, That does sound awesome. I love Project Runway. And um, I actually heard a really interesting thing today about how. So like, how old are these kids? So the youngest, I think, is like 13. I mean, crazy young. And most of them are like 15, 16. Well, I heard a really interesting thing today that was like, your best creative ideas are in your 20s and your 30s. Like, you know, Nobel Peace Prize winners. These are all like their dissertations. Then you're your best writing, doing your best writing in your 40s and your 50s because you're really like synthesizing and going over these ideas that you formulated in your 20s and 30s. And then in your 60s and 70s, you're, you're best at like teaching and kind of training the next generation in these ideas that you thought of. That's a really optimistic way to think about aging. I like I that. thought so too. I thought it was really good. Um, so I think what I'm going to talk about this week is, oh, I have so many options and I should have picked one out beforehand and now I'm, I've got too many and I can't decide. I mean, I want to be super, I mean, it's not surprising to anybody. Everybody's listening to it. It was the best selling album in history, but man, Adele's new CD is so good. It's so good. It's so good. She just, I love her. And then she does all these cute little impersonation skits and she's so endearing. And I just want to eat her up with a spoon. I love her so much. I have to say, like, I have had, you know, some stressful days lately, as we all do from time to time. You know, when you just need, like, a good cry, Mm. there is nothing like blasting Adele in your car and just cruising down the interstate and letting it flow. You know, I I feel like Adele is suffering with me sometimes. Yeah, she is. She understands. She is with you, and she understands. This this I know for sure. Did you see the the Saturday Night Live? Oh, my God. So funny. Of the Thanksgiving. Do you know what my favorite thing was about that? The respect for her fingernails. Because those are some nails. They are. It reminds me of Barbara Streisand. I don't know if that's, like, legally required to be some kind of singer person. But, like, you know, Barbara Streisand's really into her hands, too. And she also has very nice nails. She does. And she kind of moves her hands yeah, in the same way I think that Adele it's a thing. does. It must be a thing. It must be a thing. I also found a really funny Thanksgiving skit. I posted on my personal page of how enlightened people argue at Thanksgiving. Did you see this? I did see it. And it is oh, it's very so funny. funny. We'll post it on the Facebook page. But it's basically like everybody just saying what's actually going on in their brain. So it's like, you know, 
I want to control this crazy family, and I can't. And since I can't, and I can't let go of that, I'm going to make everybody miserable around me. <laughs> you, you are my mother, and so I need your approval right now, and I feel that I, you're withholding it from me. <laughs> and I feel that you need my love, and I'm not going to give it because I define myself <laughs> by raising you. And if you're independent, what does that mean for my most my personal identity? I mean, it's just so it's painfully spot on. I think it's parts. But it's really funny because there's a part in it where the guy's like, I'm going to, these emotions make me uncomfortable, so I'm going to drink or whatever. And everybody commented on that. I'm like, dude, I am not criticizing your wine drink. And everybody chill, okay? Drink your wine. Be happy. That's not the point of this skit. Also, really good Thanksgiving. Two more funny Thanksgiving things. Have you seen the video of the family that does, like, a whip nene? Oh, my um, God, though. Can I just say... I don't know what's wrong with me. I hate that family. Do you? I think I they're do. adorable. The holderness. Okay, the first time, fine. But just something about, like, it's so, it's such a, like, contrived viralness to it now that it bugs me. Maybe I mean, I'm look, just jealous of their viralness. Maybe that's Their children are totally going to work this stuff out in therapy one day. And yeah, seriously. So, you know, you can feel better about that a little bit. But I I think this was adorable. Um, and maybe it's because my five-year-old is obsessed with that song. So I sort of appreciated <laughs> the spin on it. The other thing is, have you read the – It's this has been around forever. And I think it was from something like Awkward Family Photos. But the letter from Marnie to her family telling everybody what to bring to Thanksgiving dinner – like Marnie from Girls? No, it's it's just like some random woman named Marnie, and she sends oh. she's organizing Thanksgiving dinner, and she sends this letter, and it's like telling people what brand of ice cream to bring, and <laughs> she and like what size casserole dishes to serve things in, and I mean it's it's harsh and hysterical. We'll post it on our Facebook page. That's it is funny. my favorite Thanksgiving thing in the history of all Thanksgiving things. I love Thanksgiving. I'm a big fan. It's my husband's favorite holiday. I won't claim it's my favorite holiday, but I am a big fan. It's, so it's just nice to cook and, you know, it's, I don't know. Thanksgiving has never been my favorite either, but I am really looking forward to it this year. So on that note, we would like to wish all of you a happy Thanksgiving. We will be back next week with more Pantsy Politics. Our intro and interstitial and outro music is Fourth and Starlight Road Instrumental by Minden and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 3.0 International License. And as always, we would love it if you would subscribe to our podcast and rate us on iTunes. It helps more people find Pantsuit Politics. Thank you to my husband, Nicholas, for producing this podcast. <laughs>